So, Pastor Will, do you think it would be fine if we just, I don't know, had some big thing at your church that involved comedy, games, sermons, live podcast, Q&As, and food trucks? I mean, do you think that'd be a big deal? Uh, you know, I don't know if you know this, but churches are only open for one hour on Sundays. So oh, I don't know if that dang. can... Wait a minute, that's completely wrong. No, of course, that sounds like a blast. We can come and hang out here in Chapel Hill uh, in my church. We have many rooms, many places, many people, and we love to do those kinds of things and would love for you to be a part of it. Sweet. All right. Yeah. Let's call it, uh, I don't know, the Every Tribe Denomination in Tongues convention and uh, do it at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Chapel Hill. Sounds like a great time. I think our listeners should join us. I can't wait for to meet new people and old friends alike. You're listening to the Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Patreon. Please consider joining them for $3 a month, where you can get discounts on our special merchandise and our upcoming event, the Every Tribe, Denomination, and Tongue Convention. Romans chapter 15 verses 5 through 9 say, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one purpose and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us for the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision in behalf of the truth of God, to confirm the promises given to the fathers, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. Here, St. Paul is writing to the church at Rome, encouraging them to be witnesses to God through their love of one another. He states one goal is to worship God in one voice together. Then he commands the church, accept one another. In our context today, with so many different church gatherings and polarization all over the place, what does this call to accept one another look like to you now? The primary idea here is Paul picks it up like in Galatians. He picks it up elsewhere as well. That the idea of accepting one another is no longer letting like in our our culture would be racial divisions or social status divisions. You know, that Onesimus and Philemon were to be considered brothers, not no longer master and servant. And so I think a large part of that is simply this idea that we are all one in Christ, not in multiple other options or not, you know, the older strata or whatever. Oh, yeah. Amen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Whole Church Podcast, possibly your favorite church unity podcast. Possibly not. That's fine, too. I am here, though, to introduce you to a couple people. Uh, first, we're going to introduce you to, to the reason you probably are here, your your favorite co-host. I don't know if this is your favorite show, but it is your favorite co-host, the one and only TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. How's it going? Oh, it's going great. Thank you so much for asking. Yeah. And we are joined by another return guest, um, one of my favorite return guests, an old professor of mine, uh, Dr. Peter Beck of Charleston Southern University, um, also a pastor of, I forget the name of your church at the top of my head. Doorway Baptist Church. Doorway Baptist. Okay. I knew it was Baptist and I just forgot the rest. <laughs> That's all but, good. Yeah. We are here to continue our church services series. We're going to be asking Dr. Beck uh, more about his church than theology, which is different from the usual reasons we have them on. We're going to ask just about if people were to visit exactly what it would be like. And we're just kind of going to do a rundown on that. Okay, perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to do it. 
Now, I have I can't promise it won't be theological as we turn some corners. But... <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's theological reasons behind it, I'm sure, but <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we implore you; it would behoove you to go check out our convention website in the description below. Uh, use code Whole for forty percent off at checkout. If you support us on Patreon, it'll be sixty percent off. And uh, you know the convention's gonna be cool. Come check it out. A lot of stuff going on. Multi-denominational worship service, multicultural worship service. It'll be awesome. But, Multilingual. Yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, if you support us on Patreon, you also get ten percent off the site for merch, and you get free merch every few months if you pledge ten dollars or more. Yeah. All right. So now on to my favorite uh, spiritual practice that, uh, you know, there, there's one guaranteed way to have unity in the church, and that is just by being silly enough. If you're silly enough, you can't argue. We've disproved this several times, and I'm just going to keep saying it. But <laughs> we have a silly question that we're using throughout this, this series. And uh, TJ and I will answer first, and it goes, what church service would you recommend... You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, Han Solo. Would you recommend Han Solo attend that you think he would enjoy or agree with most? So, what denomination is Han Solo in, DJ? He's not Catholic. Yeah, I don't, no, no, I don't think he I don't think he could do it. You know, I think ironically, I think he actually might be a Baptist. I feel like Han Solo would be a Baptist. Like oh, very much so. Church. Han Solo would be a deacon in some Baptist churches because Han Solo shoots first. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, you know, I'm thinking like, I don't think he 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 doesn't get like the, the as much emotional as like some of the other characters. So I, I wouldn't see him being a good Pentecostal. He's not very like pro organization. So he's not going to be good in like some of your hierarchical churches. So, yeah, I'm thinking it's got to be Baptist. Yeah. Well, think about Southern it. The cantina Baptist. scene at the beginning of A New Hope, right? When they we first introduced to Han Solo way back in 1977, yeah. the cantina scene is like a free church experience. You've got all the different aliens. Yeah. They're all doing their own thing. The worship pastor's in the background playing music and people are ignoring him. <laughs> and then he conducts business right there in his seat with, you know, mm. Guido and then all the other circumstances that come up in that exchange. Mm. Mm, that is a, yeah, that is a valid point. I don't, I don't think we have any arguments on this one today. Couldn't possibly argue. Yeah. <laughs> and why would All you right. want to? Exactly, exactly. Well, so I mentioned a little bit earlier what we're doing is we're going through what visiting different churches would be like. There's a few different reasons we're doing this. Uh, mostly, we've had different guests on the show who, you know, at the end, we always ask for a practical recommendation. A lot of people said, visit a church different than your own just to see what it's like. And some people took that recommendation and then contacted us and said, yeah, I wasn't expecting that at all. I was just not prepared to go to an Orthodox church and hear them sing the entire time. And I was like, yeah, that's uh, that's how they do it. <laughs> so we are here hoping to help some people who are going to be first time visitors of a Baptist church know what to expect when they visit a Baptist church. So for your high liturgical people who've never been to this kind of service, I uh, hope this helps. I'm sure there's also going to be some Baptists who are just kind of curious, why do we do what we do? And um, also, you know, there's always this chance that someone's just on Spotify, Google, whatever. When I want to know something new, I kind of just look it up. And if this came up of, you know, podcasts of whatever, I might listen to it. So there might be some people who've never been to a church service before. So hopefully this prepares you. <laughs> 
Hopefully so. And uh, to begin with that, Dr. Peter Beck, could you remind our listeners who you are, what you do, and uh, tell us something about the kind of church that you lead? Right. Okay, good. Yes. Uh, I'm, I am Dr. Peter Beck. I am a professor of church history at Charleston Southern University in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm also coincidentally, you know, a bivocational pastor, or I guess the trendy word today is co-vocational, that I choose to do both, to keep one foot in the academic world and one in the church world, of Doorway Baptist Church, also here in the Charleston area. I've got about 15, 16 years of experience in the classroom, and I've got coming up close now to 20 years of bivocational pastor experience. And then on top of that, I am, as you introduced me earlier, Josh, I'm the old guy in the room right now. And so I've been in and out of the church pretty consistently since probably 1978 or 1979. So been doing this one way or another, whether thoughtfully or not, for a long, long time now. Man, see, I forget when I say old professor, it sounds like I mean old. I was not trying to apply anything about age. (laughs) Well, that's all right. I am the old guy in our department. I've been there longer than any of them. There's one man older, but I'm the guy who's endured the longest. Mm. Congratulations. (laughs) So uh, we want this to be as expansive as possible to really get an idea of why churches do things the way they do. Uh, So could you walk us through your service and what it would be like to visit from the parking experience through what happens after service and fill us in on why you do the things the way that you do? Okay. Again, you probably have to remind me to bring you back full circle to some of that as we go, but <laughs> naturally. Here's the warning for those who don't know Baptists well. Baptists are part of what's referred to as the free church experience, meaning that each church is free to do what it does. Fifty years ago, had you gone to a Southern Baptist church, you would have pretty much walked into the same experience no matter where you were at. We sang out the same hymnals. You remember that's the book with the songs in it? Yeah. From back in the day. <laughs> But we got our hymnals from the same publisher. There would have been a choir most likely up front. They all wore the same choir robes or different colors of the same robe. In fact, many of our buildings were designed by the same architects at one point. And so it very much was to use a category of thought from Ed Stetzer, a very much a tribal experience. You could go on vacation, find a Southern Baptist church and walk in and feel to some degree or other like you're at home. Hmm. But because we're in the free church experience today, it could be very different. You could go to one that's very liturgical and high church. You you know, they're quoting creeds and confessions. You could go to one, I'm just thinking locally here in Charleston, one that's very, you know, I I often describe it as, if you want to know what a worship experience was in a Baptist church in the 1700s, I can send (laughs) you there. At Doorway, we're kind of different. That We're doing some different things that you all might want to pursue as we talk. Very intentionally, but different. We don't look like the mega Baptist church on the other side of North Charleston. We don't look like the traditional Baptist church up the street who sings Gaither songs exclusively almost. We're <laughs> doing something hopefully a little different. So let me walk you through a, a an hour in the life of Doorway if you showed up on some Sunday morning. Yeah. Now, I do got to say, since you, you brought up that some churches uh, do the creeds, I, I've been meaning to to apologize to you, actually. Um so in systematic, systematic, systematic theology, sorry, we do a podcast on systematic ecology and it's really confusing sometimes, <laughs> but <laughs> you taught me the, a couple of the creeds, one being the Apostles' Creed, and I did that thing that you do when you're in school where you memorize really quickly and think you'll never need it again. Well, I, I attend a liturgical church now, so we have to say it every week. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I don't remember that. 
So I, I should have done better. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll leave it at that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, one, you're welcome. And two, yes. <laughs> but oh, you'll man. be encouraged at my church a couple of years ago. I did a 10 week sermon series on the Apostles Creed oh, and we read it every week. Nice. And so we can do that. Well, again, we're not a yeah. traditional Southern Baptist <laughs> church. But that sounds fun. If you can find our location, because we're kind of back in the woods in an urban area of North Charleston, there's a sign out front, but people often look for locations by building. So you have to kind of see our building back there a little <laughs> bit. Pull into the parking lot, not a huge parking lot. I mean, we can probably hold 100 cars now that we've expanded our parking lot. It's huh. it's a parking lot. Unlike some <laughs> churches, I don't have bouncers cruising the parking lot looking for people to ambush. I mean, to help out of their cars. We're going to wait till you get to the door. But as soon as you get to the door, especially if the weather's cooperating, there's going to be at least one person at the door to open the door for you, kind of welcome you, reach, you know, kind of reach out as you come in. If they recognize you as a visitor, they're going to welcome you, you know, introduce themselves, ask for your name if you don't offer it voluntarily, bring you in inside. If it's just before worship service, they'll probably introduce you to our team working at our information desk maybe give you a packet of information about our church. Won't ask you to fill anything out or whatever. In the packet, there'll be a card to fill out if you want to let us know what your name is, or as I encourage people, give us your name at least so we can pray for you, but entirely optional. And then depending on how comfortable you seem to be, either they'll guide you to this worship center or maybe even take you in and help you find a seat. It's not that we don't have enough seats, but Baptists are peculiar. We have our assigned seat that we don't acknowledge is our assigned seat. And so somebody might walk you into the sanctuary, so to speak, and help you find somewhere, you know, off to the side, in the middle, wherever the case might be. Our sanctuary set up, you can't hide real well. It's a smaller <laughs> sanctuary, hold about 250 people. It's set up in kind of a fanned out setup. So there, none of the rows are more than eight chairs across. You're going to sit near somebody. You can't sit in the back row. If you're close enough that you really want to sit up front in the spit zone, we'll be glad to show you how to sit up front also. So you come in, hopefully, if we're having a good day, somebody nearby will recognize you as a visitor again once you're in the worship center and kind of walk up and introduce themselves. I mean, I know some denominations, some you know church groups don't do a real good job looking out and seeking out visitors. Our folks are actually pretty good about that. Even up to the point at one time we had a choir, I had a middle-aged woman who sat in the choir and you could see everybody. And like an eagle, if she saw a visitor, she would get up, leave the choir area and go welcome them. So That's awesome. Yeah. Hopefully it's a very welcoming experience. You'll sit down using like last week's worship service or even this coming one is the answer to your question. About 1058 or so, we'll start a video up on the the screen up front. Right now we're promoting, if you will, informational videos about the Easter offering that Southern Baptists take nice. up to support missionaries. And it'll be just a couple minutes. And that's kind of our subtle clue. Settle in, settle down. We're about to begin <laughs> the worship service. You know, some clocks or some churches use a countdown clock to do that. Others, the lighting will change in the room or whatever is kind of a symbol. Yeah. Our church is very well lit with natural light pouring in windows on the side. We can't control the lights up and down much. So the video kind of gives you the clue. It's time. Once the video is over, the worship pastor will step up to his mic, 
kind of give you a brief welcome to the group. You know, we're glad to have you with us, worshiping with us, whatever. <laughs> Usually he'll then introduce the service with a quick scripture passage. He'll read a short little passage or sometimes maybe even just a verse that kind of sets the tone for what the kind of, if you will, the unwritten theme for the morning is, and then launch into songs. Typically, we start off with a couple of songs or what you know the worship folks call a set. It'll be a short little set, typically two songs. Even though we're not liturgical, we all have a liturgy. We kind of follow patterns. <laughs> yeah. You know, when they say we're not liturgical, they're lying unless they just wing it every week. <laughs> Our first set or first two songs, we call in what we when we used to give out a worship folder, a bulletin, like you know, old school. Mm-hmm. We no longer do that. But we call this first couple of songs the gospel and song, but we're looking at adoration and confession. We're singing one song that acknowledges who God or Jesus is, you know, their greatness, their mercy, whatever. And then the second song is a kind of a follow-up. It's a song designed to be your response to that theological reality. So, for example, this coming Sunday, the first song is How Great Is Our God, you know, somewhat of a contemporary hymn. And then the follow-up is another song, Jesus, Thank You. So recognition of greatness and then our response to it. After the first set, I come up onto the stage, you know, have everybody settle in, get themselves comfortable and sit down. I mean, we used to let them stand. Let's be honest. Some people can't stand long and they feel guilty because they're not standing through the whole thing. And so rather than making some of those people feel uncomfortable, I seat everybody and then I lead them in a corporate prayer. And so I pray for the service, you know, hopefully invoke God's blessing on us. After the prayer, that's where I give the formal greeting to the church. You know, thank you for coming. You know, it's wonderful. Here's what we're here for this morning. We've gathered to worship, to celebrate the resurrection every week, not just this coming Sunday. And then if I noticed, and again, I'm pretty astute observer. If I've noticed first-time visitors, I'll specifically make a point. You know, if you're a first-time guest, and I like that word better than visitor, Mm-hmm. That they're guests in our service, not just visitors, as if they happened in and kind of intruded on us. You know, welcome <laughs> them, thank them for coming. Well, I'll ask them again, you know, if you didn't get an information package on the way in, make sure you get one on the way out of the service this morning. If mm-hmm. you did get one, please fill out the information card for us, at least your name. And if you have anything special you need from us, let us know how we can pray for you or whatever. I welcome everybody else. And then I remind them we're here to worship. Please stand back up. So we're giving them clues on what they're going on the service. So if they're not familiar, <laughs> yeah. they know when to sit, when to stand and whatnot. Then we go into our second set, which we refer to in just kind of internal language as, again, the gospel and song. But now we're thinking about redemption. The next hmm. song is really about redemption one way or another. And then the fourth song is, again, our response to that theological truth. So, so you- this coming Sunday, we, we're singing Overcome is our redemption song. And then our follow-up song is Christ, the sure and steady anchor. Nice. And so theological proclamation, you are God, you are great. And then our, you know, we're broken, we're sinful, we need you, whatever the case may be. One of you had a question. I heard a... Yeah, I I was just going to say, so you do do adoration in response, uh, then redemption in response songs each week. Right. Yes. We keep the same pattern, the song shift. Then after that second set... I'll come up on stage, and that's when we do the sermon. So the sermon is actually part of the response, also in a sense. And so I preach expositionally. I typically get on into the pulpit, so to speak, 1130 or 1125, 
and I'll preach 25 to 40 minutes-ish, kind of how things move along. And throughout, I'm you know encouraging the audience to follow along. Here's where we're at in the Bible. Look back to the page or whatever. And then the last song or last set is then our corporate response. Unless we've chosen, as we've done on occasion, <laughs> we make the Lord's Supper our corporate response. Yeah. So a couple questions then. So for yeah, one, one, just for those who, who aren't as familiar, you know, a lot of people, especially if they're from high liturgical churches, their sermons are all based on the church calendar. When you say expositional preaching, could you just kind of explain what you mean by that? Sure. What we do, you know, expository preaching, expositional, literally is playing out the word expose. The goal is to expose the meaning of the text. And so whether I'm preaching a long sermon series, like just this past year, right around Christmas, I finished an 82-week sermon series from the Gospel of Mark. And we worked through the passage by passage for two years. Right now, I'm doing a nine-week series ending this coming Sunday on the doctrine of the resurrection. And so we've looked at, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says the resurrection is a matter of first importance. Mm -hmm. We looked at Genesis, where you know, Adam and Eve sinned and God promised Messiah. And even there, hence that he'll be wounded, <laughs> but live. Yeah. The next week I looked at you know the, the sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis 22, and then so on forth and so on. And what I've done is each week I focus exclusively on the passage that we're looking at. So what is this passage about? Where does it fit in the book it's in? As well as obviously, what's the connection to our current sermon series? But, you know, letting the text basically tell us what it means and then showing the audience as we're going through it. Okay, look back at verse three. Do you see that word? You know, whatever word it might be. That's the word that tells us X is true. And so kind of following the Puritans, since I like the Puritans a lot, (laughs) they used a three-part sermon outline basically every week. The first part of the sermons was always what they called opening the text. You open it up, you read it to the congregation, and you give the basic background. Then the preacher would then give the second part of it, which is what they called the doctrine. What is this text teaching? Now, I introduce it, you know, hopefully in a little more modern language. You know, I talk about (laughs) what's the theme of this passage or what's the big idea? With the goal being, if they get nothing else out of the sermon, at the back door, if somebody asked them, what was it a sermon about? They'd be able to, at least in one sentence, summarize the meaning of the passage And then the Puritans would go to the third part, which is application. What do we do with this? And so I approach expository preaching that way. Let's read the text. Let's get the context. What does it mean? Now, what does it mean to us? What did it mean to the author who wrote it? He's communicating a message to us. And then third, okay, now what do we do with this? Yeah, and that kind of preaching kind of extends from the the belief which is another difference between some of your other liturgical churches that the word is kind of central rather than yes. you know tradition or anything else yeah we are very much in the end we're a little different than some baptists and certainly different than some pentecostals or methodists or whomever we are very reformed in our thinking in terms of the reformation reformed you know and think of what is the central sola of the five solas of the reformation it's sola scriptura and so we are trying to sing the Bible. Some Many of our songs are very almost drawn word for word from the Bible or with nothing else true to what the Bible says. We're trying to pray the Bible. In fact, very often some of our prayers in the service, rather than being from the prayer book, if we were Anglicans, 
-hmm. We're praying, you know, for example, Aaron's benediction from Numbers chapter six, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May his face shine upon you. So we're singing the Bible. We're praying the Bible. And then of course, we're preaching and teaching the Bible, figuring that what we bring to the table is nothing in a sense. That what we've come to do at worship is to, one, acknowledge what God and Christ have done and what the Spirit is doing, but then primarily to say, that's it, God, pour into us what we need, what you want us to know. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I I said that liturgical churches have like more traditional centered, I, I guess it's probably more centered the service itself around the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. Um, you mentioned that you guys occasionally do that at the end. How often do you guys do the Lord's Supper at the end of service? Uh, it varies. Traditionally, Baptists, Southern Baptists would go once a quarter for Lord's Supper, wherever they put it. Yeah. And many of them, pet peeve, so I'm going to make some maybe <laughs> some Baptist listeners mad. It often, to me, felt like it was just being shoved in because it's on the calendar. We've got to do it this week. Mm. My desire as a pastor, as well as a worshiper, was I always wanted it to be meaningful. And so when we do it, we might do it at the beginning of a service. We might do it in the middle I've become more and more convinced of late that the Lord's, because I did a three-part sermon series on the Lord's Supper this year mm-hmm. as well. i become more convinced that the Lord's Supper is biblically a picture of covenant renewal, that every time somebody was taking the Lord's Supper in the Bible, they were renewing their covenant with the Lord based on the Passover meal. You're remembering what God has done for you. And so for me, it became this conviction that when we take the Lord's Supper, that's actually our mechanism of response. It's not merely for us to take it to remember what Jesus did. And I'm a Baptist. You know, we hold to what's called the memorial view of the supper, that, you know, we are doing this in memory of him. In fact, if you've been in a Baptist church, they've got a table up front. And oftentimes that's carved in the front of the table in remembrance of me. But I become more and more convinced while it is a memorial, we are remembering what Christ has done. It's meant to encourage us, to lift us up. It also that it is a covenant meal with God. God is the invisible person at the table, if you will. Yeah. And we are eating with him. And by doing yeah. so, we are recommitting to the covenant that we have sworn into. Mm. And so doing it at the end of the service for us this winter became a response mechanism itself. We don't need to sing a song. We need to respond in the covenant meal. Mm-hmm. If you're with us, please sit down and join us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and then we move on from there. Mm-hmm. Man. See, uh, if I'm thinking right, your sermons are all online somewhere, right? I can find Yes. Yeah. Uh, if you go to the website, doorwaybc.com, you can find a link to the sermons. Or if you go to YouTube, we have a YouTube channel, thanks to COVID. You know, go there, look for Doorway yeah. Baptist Church. And we, in fact, stream or broadcast Sunday morning services. My Sunday night Bible study is typically broadcast there, as well as our Wednesday night Bible studies. Because Wednesday nights, we go through a book verse by verse for however long it takes us. So we have inundated the Internet for a small little church <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, North Charleston. And we've got people we know listening to our services or watching us all around the world. We get messages occasionally from people in East Africa. Hey, wow. you know, in our in our church ministry, we're doing this and we're watching you while we do it. And so it's a pretty amazing tool what the internet has actually enabled us to do. Yeah. See, I'm able to Shout listen out to our Vietnamese audience. Yeah. <laughs> Which we, we do have some. Uh, yeah, I'm able to 
watch YouTube or listen to YouTube at work. So I'm going to find this <laughs> Lord's Supper series. Yeah. Been I, I'm early, that one. It probably would have been like the second and third week, third, fourth and week of January. Okay, nice. And, nice. What, and what we did, spoiler alert, <laughs> is I preached one sermon from Exodus looking at the institution of the Passover meal, right, when God okay, led yeah. them out of Egypt. And then we then turned, looked at one of the New Testament passages where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper and connects it, by the way, to what? To the Passover. Mm-hmm. We've done this, the old covenant. Now here's the new covenant meal. And then played out from there. So do you ever celebrate the Passover? Have you ever done that? Uh, in terms of like having a Seder? No, I've never done it. I've that? known several people who have. I mean, here's where my liturgical bent kind of dips in. We've occasionally, you know, I've done a sermon like the week before Easter. You know, here's what's going on here. Here's the symbolism in one sense, the prophecy and the fulfillment. One week's the prophecy. Here's the Passover. Here's the fulfillment. Jesus is the Passover lamb that takes away the sins of the world. We do give a nod to liturgy. We kind of sneak it in. I freaked (laughs) him out when I first got there 10, almost 11 years ago. We celebrate every year Maundy Thursday. We cancel our midweek church activity and have a nice. have a fellowship meal. And then this week we'll then shift from the fellowship meal in our fellowship building. We'll go into the sanctuary, celebrate the Lord's Supper, and then do what they did that night before Jesus arrested. They'll sing hymns and songs. And then he went out to the garden. We'll leave and go home. And in all honesty, we kind of leave it on a dark and somber note <laughs> so that people will remember... Yeah. That, you know, what makes Sunday morning so joyous is all the horrendous stuff that came Thursday night and Friday. And so we want them to be contemplative. And then Sunday morning, talk about how do we do worship. Song we're going to end with on Thursday night this week will actually begin with on Sunday. But even down to the point that the PowerPoint slide will be very different. So that if if somebody's really an astute observer, wait a minute. (laughs) Thursday night, it was black and a gloomy slide. You know, here's a sunrise type. I mean, I'm not sure what exactly he's come up with yet, <laughs> yeah. but he's looking to make even the visual effect different to highlight mm-hmm. the change from Thursday to Sunday. Yeah. You know, God's in the details, right? It, I, um, <laughs> the, um, yeah, for, for the listeners, if they haven't figured it out, we're recording this the week of Easter. This is going to come out right after Easter. So you can find both of those, I think, on YouTube. You yep. can see what he's talking about. Um, so you said for the finale, you either do, uh, usually do a song. Sometimes you'll do the Lord's Supper. Uh, is What happens after that? Is there, you know, shaking of hands? Everybody just goes out to eat or everybody just goes home? Right. Uh, again, we're not, you know, if there is a traditional way of doing Southern Baptist, we're not that. You know, <laughs> traditionally what you do is you'd sing a song. You'd sing, you know, the first verse, the second verse, and then the fourth verse. Yeah, it's the old, you know, it becomes almost stereotypical funny the way the Baptists did it in the day. We'll typically sing whatever song we're singing, all the verses. Some churches will have an invitation, a call to Christ. You know, let me explain to you what you need to do to respond here. I explain it kind of as I wrap up the sermon. Some churches will have what the old timers would call the altar call. You know, come forward yeah. and accept Jesus, even to the stereotype. Some of your listeners will, you know, remember this. Every head bow, every eye closed, you know, kind yeah. of a, what you know, to put a positive spin on it and a gospel appeal. You know, here's your chance. Is the spirit speaking to you? Come forward, not just to let the pastor know, but let the pastor counsel you or guide you. We don't do it that way. 
we do it when we do sing, I do remain towards the front. I don't stand in front yeah. and beg, you know, I don't, you know, cajole or shame people into responding. I grew yeah. up in a church that did that. And so I'm kind of averse. You know, I think, you know, it's one of my, when I hear it, I kind of get the twitches and kind of go, oh, wait a minute, that's not, but I'm available up front if people want me. But we always tell them, if you really feel like God's leading you to think about becoming a Christian or joining our particular church, come see me or better yet, contact the church and we'll set up an appointment to meet with you where we can actually sit down and walk through carefully and consciously. After the song is over, if there's no, you know, last several weeks, we have new members. So I'll introduce new members to the whole congregation. Nice. If we don't have anything like that, the worship pastor will typically close us with a benediction, you know, which basically means a good word or a good saying. Mm-hmm. And he almost always does that from a scriptural passage in the Bible. You know, almost all of Paul's letters have a benediction of some sort. Or so he'll read one of those and then say, you know, an extemporaneous, spontaneous, not written down prayer of blessing, you know, and praying that God will take his word and apply it to our hearts. And then we'll dismiss people. One of the things we've eliminated over the years was that, you know, again, if you've in the South and you've been in almost any number of churches where they make you stand up and they introduce visitors, you know, with a, you know, make sure you turn around and welcome the visitor next to you with a handshake. All the surveys say from Ed Stetzer and Tom Rayner, a bunch of those type of folks, that drives visitors nuts. They don't want to be yeah. invisible, but they want to be anonymous. And so we've eliminated yeah. some of that activity. Some of our folks will go out to church or after church, go out to dinner. You know, if somebody recognizes you a visitor, particularly in our church, we're good about making a big deal out of military mm-hmm. folks since we're in a military town and military folks are kind of without family. So you know, we got folks who will make a big deal and welcome them, you know, invite them to lunch, take them home for dinner or whatever. But by and large, we leave that to be spontaneous. So rather than feeling like the church is forcing that, the hope and the goal is that people will do it automatically when they sense here's a visitor or whatever. Yeah. You used to be military too, right? I, yeah, I, I was an army right? ranger yeah. way back when. Yeah, I thought so. I thought so. Very Which, cool. you know, again, thank you for your service. I've said it before, but, you know, it, yeah, it doesn't hurt to say it again. <laughs> no, it's good to hear. Yeah. I'm old enough because I'm the old guy. Yeah. I can remember the era post-Vietnam where we were not allowed to wear our uniforms off base because people still responded so negatively to the presence of military. Oh, so I didn't yeah. even Today, know. Today, we That's live in a generation where, you know, they let the service members get on the airplane first or we stand up and thank them. You know, I remember back in the day when they didn't do that. And so- mm. I, I, I'm, I, for one, definitely appreciate it and am typically moved when people, I don't want to say make a big deal because I don't want to be a big deal made of me. But if, you know, the other day I saw a guy who was a Vietnam War, no, Korean War veteran, and somebody made a big deal of it. And to me, that's special. You know, here's a guy in his 70s or 80s, probably 80s now, yeah. and people wanted to know, we appreciate what you did before I was ever born. So that's a very cool thing. Do you think you appreciate it more like secondhand when you see somebody else? Getting the right typically, yeah. Because yeah. again, I don't want to be. I mean, when I say Army Ranger, people, you know, kind of whoa. You know, <laughs> I recently met yeah. a doctor, and you know, I was, no, it was a nurse, and I was, you know, what'd you do? You know, because I have disabilities connected to my service, and so we're talking about a little bit. And the nurse said, "What'd you do?" And I said, "Well, I used to be an Army Ranger," and she didn't drop her pin, but she might as well. <laughs> yeah. She kind of stopped, yeah, on the spot, head whipped around. She quit doing what she's doing, focusing on me exclusively. And she goes. Really? She said, you're the first one I've ever met, which is not unusual. Rangers are a very small group 
you know, within a very small category of the military anyway. Special ops is about 1% of all military service. But then she says something I've never heard, and I'm still dumbfounded by it a month later. She says, I feel like I've met a celebrity because Mm. she's seen the movie. She's, you know, it's it's a different world, and I acknowledge that. But when I was in the Army, other than we had goofy haircuts as Rangers back in the day, (laughs) you didn't want to be acknowledged. And so to me, that it's almost kind of a, I don't want to say a source of embarrassment, like I'm embarrassed I did it. I'm kind of embarrassed that you want to make a big deal of it. Hmm. But when I see other vets, especially the old guys, yeah, because the old guys, World War II, they're almost all gone now. The U.S. did a really good job welcoming them home. Korean, we did pretty good. Vietnam, it's a disgrace. Not only how we did the war, but how we welcomed our soldiers home. And like I said, hmm. and I was that yeah. in-between area era where we hadn't figured it out. The Gulf War first one in the 90s changed that. And so I'm grateful for that, which has nothing to do with worship, yeah. by the way. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I was just curious, but we won't make a big deal out of that. <laughs> <laughs> so would you say your church service is more geared to those already saved or towards new seekers? And why? Um, I would argue, and so this is what we do, hopefully, <laughs> I would argue theologically that the Sunday morning worship hour, assuming you're doing it on Sunday morning, is designed as a response mechanism for believers. Mm-hmm. Lost people don't worship God. They're at war with God. They're indifferent or worse, they're antagonistic. So yeah. we intentionally don't design our worship service around lost people. Now, I was just telling students this morning in class, the lost are certainly more than welcome in our worship services. We're glad they're there. And I'm going to explain things in the worship service so that a new visitor or a, you know somebody who's a new Christian or even a lost person, a non-believer, can know why we do what we do. I can remember many times when I was younger, I had family members who were Catholic, and we'd go for, you know, for First Communion and sit there clueless. What are we doing? You know, <laughs> yep. Why am I banging my shins on these things underneath the pews? Why are they standing? So we try to explain some of that, but we design it with the assumption that the people there are there because they love God. You know, Sunday morning worship is supposed to be a commemoration of the resurrection every week, not just Easter. And so our songs are geared towards the redeemed. Our responses are geared toward the redeemed. You know, if a lost person shows up and follows along, they're hearing you sing the gospel to them. They're seeing the gospel portrayed if you're doing Lord's Supper or baptism that day. They're being invited to respond to the gospel. As they listen to you, you're singing your testimony to them in a sense. And so they are certainly a welcome part of the service but they are not our driving or motivational factor in the service. Yeah. So your evangel evangelistic tools don't include just get them into the doors. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, we will argue that, you know, not that if they're there, let's welcome them. But I don't believe or encourage what I used to call invitational evangelism. Yeah. You've done, you've evangelized your neighbor because you invited them to church. No, you invited them to the church. And you probably did it because you want the pastor to actually share the gospel with them. Or you want the yeah. pastor to share the gospel with your child. My <laughs> argument is we come to this church on the Sunday to worship God in response to what he's done for us through the week as well as eternally. And then if you want to think of it this way, Sunday morning is meant to be an equipping hour. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a hospital. You come to church to get re-energized, to be refed, with the idea of being following Jesus' command in Matthew 28. Now you're going to go out and make disciples and then bring them back with you. Mm. So there is conversion that takes place. I was saved at a worship service. 
at in yeah. fact a revival service. But we don't focus on them exclusively. That's really a byproduct of something happened here in America in the late 1700s, early 1800s, the Second Great Awakening. Mm. You see that shift take place historically. And all of a sudden you have altar calls. There is not an altar call in church history until the 1790s at a camp wow. meeting in Kentucky. Wow. And then all of a sudden they're talking about it. And they're debating about it for 50 years because many people are still complaining it's heretical. It's following some very bad theological protocols or precedents. So that's a relatively modern invention in terms of 2000 years of church history. Yeah. You know, the idea yeah. you sit on the front row comes from the second great awakening, come down front and the pastor will talk yeah. to you. So we intentionally don't do those things because theologically we think something different is primarily yeah. happening. Yeah. Now I haven't grown up Pentecostal. I do enjoy a good altar call, but uh, yeah, I, I'm more with you as far as like the church being for those recommitting, you know, re-acknowledging what you've done throughout the week kind of stuff. Um, but that's not necessarily the case at all Southern Baptist and definitely, definitely not all Pentecostal churches. Right. I mean, no Southern Baptist no, kind mean, of varies it, on that one. Yeah. I mean, by and large, I would say most Southern Baptists have some sort of, maybe all of us, some sort of response mechanism, but many of them still do some form of the altar call to come forward, shake the pastor's hand, get counseled by a D. De- I mean, every church kind of does it different. Mm-hmm. We just happen to do it with the idea, with the theological conviction. If God is calling you, you will respond. Mm-hmm. And if he saved you, you're coming forward and shaking my hand at the end of service does not save you. <laughs> yeah. You know, coming forward That's is true. the acknowledgement of what God has done, not the actual, typically the event of what he's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, the yeah. same reason why after the service, I don't stand at the back door and shake hands like a lot of churches do, where you, you know, kind of meet and yeah. greet the pastor on the way out. There again, practical conviction. My ego is bad enough. You know, I repent of pride frequently. I don't need to be at the back door and have you stoking my ego and pastor, that's the best sermon ever. I don't need that. Plus I'm skeptical enough. If you told me this week's the best sermon ever, and I just thought it was a bomb, I'm going to think you have no clue. Or I want to, you know, be snarky and ask back, well, didn't you think last week's was good? Or is it now the second best one ever? So yeah, I I make myself available. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So I make myself available up front after the service. I stay down near the front with the last place they would have seen me, so to speak, on stage. And if visitors want to come talk to me or, you know, there's a college kid I've been counseling at school, wants to come tell me what's happened in her life since we last talked. I figure that's a much more conducive place to do that sort of little more in-depth conversation than at the back door with, you know, 40 people piled up behind you (laughs) trying to get out out of the building. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So what would you say then is the most challenging part of your service? If someone who's never been to, you know, they've only been to high liturgical or have never been to a church before, what would be the most challenging thing for them to get used to as far as like the style goes? Oh, man. For all of us, no matter where we would go, I think the most challenging would be if you're going following your admonition, go try something new. It's always going to be, this isn't what I've seen. Yeah. And it's hard to fall into the mode, at least initially for most of us, that you're able to switch on the worship switch and get into it. You know, we end up being involved, listening, we're watching, we're analyzing, you know, we're mentally not, hopefully not out loud, but we're mentally questioning. (laughs) Why are they doing that? What does that mean or do? For us, I think it's going to be pretty self-explanatory. I don't know that everybody pick up on the Adoration response, redemption response, kind of, you know, sing song interaction. 
unless they're really paying attention. But I think they'll pick up on the idea that what we're calling throughout the service is it needs to be a response. That you can't just sing you can't just sing the words and get nothing out of it. That's not the goal of what we're trying to facilitate. And I would argue that's not what the goal of what God is doing as well. Hopefully the most challenging thing in the service is the work of the Holy Spirit on their life, convicting them, Mm. guiding them, leading them, going, okay, what do you do with the worship service you just partaken of? Do you recommit? Do you do you join? You know, (laughs) do you move from participant to member, from observer to, you know, in one sense, a giver? You know, one other thing I'll mention here that we don't do that's typical in our worship services is we don't take up an offering in the worship service. You know, traditional Baptists, I yeah, assume, like Pentecostal, a lot of Methodists, there's an offering or a tithing, whatever you want to label it, somewhere in the service. Yeah. I've always been at the conviction we do it really badly because typically if you look at it, that kind of church service order, we put it right in the middle. We build up to it. You have the offering. And then the congregation sits down for 40 minutes and does nothing else. Mm. And so they go from participant to observer. And the thing in the middle is give us your money. Mm. And my dad was not a believer and always questioned, why do you all just talk about money only? Mm -hmm. I've been preaching for almost 20 years. I've preached on giving like four times out of who knows how many hundreds of sermons. But I get it. It's at the middle of our service. And so we started tinkering with, here's me being Mm non-traditional. Let's do it early in the service. Let's do it after the sermon. Let our giving be our response. But with mm-hmm. COVID, we were already moving towards offering as an option, online giving. You know, if you yeah. want to give it to church, you can give it to church. If you want to do online. With COVID, we were closed the doors for, in our case, we closed early and opened early. We closed the week before everybody else did, kind of saw it coming. Reopened probably a week or two before the earliest openers did. But you can't take an offering when nobody's there. So we heavily yeah. emphasized online giving during that time period or mail in your check. And so now for the person who's still kind of old school enough that they think, oh, you got to bring a check, give an envelope at church with your check in it. Mm-hmm. We have an offering <laughs> box in the back of the sanctuary on the way out the door. On your yeah. way out, if you have a gift that you want to give, just drop it in there. We'll make sure it gets taken care of. But we've removed the giving portion of it, certainly from centrality to it's here. We encourage it, but this is not what we're about exclusively. And in fact, when we did do it in the middle, back to your visitor question, we would always tell visitors, we don't want your money this morning. Don't feel like you have to give. The giving is a response, again, to what God is doing in your life through our church. Our members are expected to give. I think biblically, that's the picture. Visitors are guests. You're our guest. We didn't expect you to bring a dessert when you came. We don't (laughs) expect you to pay for the service. Somebody else is doing that for you as our gift to you this morning. Yeah. My parents' church have a offering box in the back. I love that. Also, if anybody does visit me and wants to bring a dessert, I won't discourage it. <laughs> You're so mercenary. <laughs> he likes blueberry pie and most other pie. Yeah. Banana pudding. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. It's good banana pudding mm, in the South. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. primo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what would be the easiest connection point for those who are new to your style to connect to? Yeah, kind of clunky. But. I would encourage, and I encourage all visitors to do this in any engagement. If you come to my classroom, I encourage it. If you really want to participate in the life of the church, which is what a worship service is about, you've got to be, and it's hard for some folks, you need to be extroverted enough to take control, 
to take responsibility for your experience. If your experience of a church is going to be, well, no one talked to me, my response is, well, who did you talk to? You know, yeah, my people should know better. My church members should go and understand where to welcome visitors. But to the people that you're talking to that you're trying to encourage, go visit other churches, see how the other half lives, so to speak. Uh-huh. You be the extrovert. You know, if you go to an Anglican church, sit near somebody, don't sit in the corner. If they still give out worship folders, get a worship folder, follow along, mm-hmm. but engage, engage the people, engage the worship. You know, you mentioned, uh, maybe it was you, Josh, or I think it was you, not TJ, about going to an Orthodox church. Mm-hmm. I think it was the illustration. Yeah, it's very different from almost anything any of us know oh, unless yeah. you're Catholic. <laughs> but plug oh, in. Yeah. You know, for me, the larger issue is if I go to visit another church, and again, I'm a theologian, I'm observing, I'm reading the tea leaves, I'm, you know, why do they yeah. do that? And do they know what that means when they do that? But for me, unless what's being said or sung, as the case may be, is heretical, I want to participate. Yeah. Otherwise, I've turned worship, in that case, into me being the thing being worshipped. My preferences, mm-hmm. my styles. No, you're you're enjoying a very different experience. Now, won't be entirely online with what you've encouraged people to do with the podcast here lately. But I remember the first time I went back to Europe when I was in the army in the 80s, mm-hmm. went to Europe, hadn't been back in 20 plus years, wow. was invited to go on a mission trip with another church. Somebody knew of me and said, hey, we'd like you to go with us. We went to Berlin, cognitive dissonance. Last time I was in Europe, the Soviets controlled half of Europe. You couldn't go to places. Now, all of a sudden, this ex-Army Ranger is allowed to go to Berlin and walk wherever he wants to walk. But that Sunday morning, we got up and went to church because of the mission trip. And while not as different as what you're asking people to do, perhaps, we went to a Baptist church, but it was an international Baptist church. Hmm. Ironically, they meet, I assume they still do, in the old women's auxiliary of the National Socialist Party headquarters. In other words, they met where the women Nazis met. Which is really kind of, you know, one of those cool ironies in God's, you know, when God laughs, he laughs at that kind of thing. But walk in, it looks like a church. I mean, they've kind of set it up as a church, so it feels close to what you might be used to. Sat down, went to the worship service. You know, they probably followed a non-liturgy, liturgy, sort of like what I've sort of described. Uh Afterwards, I was so moved, if you will by what I had just participated in, that I was processing what just happened here. So I went to the pastor. We had lunch with him afterwards. I got some questions, pastor. How many people do you think were at worship this morning? Not because I'm, you know, a Baptist and we need to know how many. So we, you know, <laughs> oh, I got more people than you got, Yeah, which I probably do because Christianity in Berlin is very minimal. But I want to know, you know, what kind of experience worship-wise are you all getting in a former hmm. atheist communist city What's the Christian response like here? And that particular morning, he may have had 140, 150 people. And I said, okay, out of curiosity, how many nationalities? It's International Baptist Church. It's not international because we're in another country because that's not international to them. It's their country. I'm the international. (laughs) But I asked, how many different nationalities? And out of that 140, 150, he said, oh, this morning, I would guess 60 or 65. Now think about that. 65 different countries or people groups represented in corporate worship. That's awesome. And they're singing the same song and we're singing together. And all of a sudden you go, 
This is what's being described as worship in heaven in Revelation 4 and 5, where there's every nation, every tongue, and every tribe. You know, to kind of sound preachy here, that's kind of a foretaste of <laughs> glory divine. That this is what Christ is doing, is like TJ read earlier before he started recording from Paul in Romans about being one. Christ is getting us ready for heaven by bringing us together now, all of our different ideas, all our different identities, bringing us together as one here in preparation for what eternity is going to be like then, when all of a sudden denominations don't matter anymore because we're one in Christ. Our language barrier, I mean, think about the language barrier is already starting (laughs) to be torn down on the day of Pentecost. Mm, Pentecost is not about speaking in tongues like the modern debate is, you know, do you speak? No. Pentecost, everybody in the audience was hearing Peter's message, probably preached in Aramaic, Mm. but they're hearing it in their own language. Mm. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, is overcoming our national barriers to start uniting people to Christ. It's reversing the curse of the Tower of Babel. Babel sent them out. Pentecost in Christ brings us in together. And so my experience that morning at the International Baptist Church was, this is what it's going to be like one day to sing with people I have never met and share the same worship experience. Not because we're singing the same way, but because we're worshiping the same Savior. And all Man. of a sudden, all those barriers go away. Man, that is, yeah, that's awesome. Man, I don't know how to follow that. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. So would you say then that that would be kind of your advice, uh, your number one advice for like, if they're doing the practical action, they're going to visit something different just to participate. Is that go? Yeah, go to learn, right? Be inquisitive. Why do they burn incense at the Orthodox Church? What does that mean? Why do the Anglicans, don't any Anglicans out there get mad at me? Why do the Anglicans (laughs) sound like a Catholic church in English? You know, why are you Pentecostals standing up and dancing in the aisle? We don't dance, right? You know, (laughs) I didn't dance at prom. I don't go to church to dance. So you are being curious and you are going, how does these people worship different than me? But remember, you're going first and foremost, not as a curiosity seeker, but as a Christ seeker. And so while they may worship different, you're there to find out maybe they're different might help you worship better, whether it's in that moment or when I encourage people to go visit other churches. Remember, Josh, what I told you when you emailed me, I tell my people all the time, do this. What you want them to do is A, to be touched by the experience. Obviously, you want God glorified by the experience. But if there's something good and valuable to be had, bring it back to our church so we can do it. Mm, yeah. That's why, you know, 50 years ago, white churches look like white churches. Black churches look like black churches. Mm-hmm. Liturgical church folks look like liturgical and Baptists would have not fit in. Today, mm. many Baptist churches, other than, the you know, maybe the sign gifts of the Holy Spirit, will look very much like your worship service did growing up. Mm-hmm. That, you know, you go down the street to the non-denominational church that was founded by a charismatic church. And they're singing the same songs I'm singing down the road. Worship in many ways is already starting to become a bridge between denominations. I hope it doesn't negate the theological differences because I think there's very good reasons why some of us are this or that. But what we want to do is we want to grow closer to Christ by becoming more like him. And God uses the worship experience to do that. So if you go to another church, make sure that after the glorifying God, that your next goal is to worship Mm. and benefit from the way that maybe these people do it different. So it's new. Mm. It's kind of like vacation. You know, we, you know, I live in Charleston. I live where people vacation. Mm -hmm. They come here and they're excited. 
I come here and I go, man, traffic's horrible with all these tourists. I have to go somewhere new. But when I go somewhere new, all of a sudden, the same things I could have done at home are exponentially different and better because it's not the way I do it. So take your worship experience at the Presbyterian Church and see if God doesn't use it to enhance your worship experience. Yeah. Amen. All right. That's like going to a foreign McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. You know, in Germany, in McDonald's, they put jalapenos rather than pickles on your burger. That's way huh. better. And so if you're not it aware of that, be, get ready to be surprised yeah. because your, your your McDonald's burger is going to have a little bit of a kick. Man. Yeah. That's yeah. Way better. When my mom went to Africa, they asked her if they wanted egg on her burger or not. Like, yeah. Like, not that it was just an option, but like they ask you that preemptively. Yep. Yeah. Panama, you go to McDonald's and the burgers are not well done. Oh, weird. Oh. They are a little, they're not quite steak tartare, but I think the thing was mooing right before they put it in the wrapper and put it on the plate. Wow. Man, that sounds pretty so, good though. Yeah, but it's still oh. a burger. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's still McDonald's. You're going to recognize something about the experience no matter where you go. Oh, yeah. 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 Man. So you've been on the show before. I'm pretty sure we've been doing this the whole time. I can't exactly remember. Maybe not. But before we wrap up, we like to give it our God moment. Pretty sure we did that at episode 14. Uh, and more recently when you've been yeah, on. But- I think we started that at episode 11. <laughs> Oddly <laughs> enough, I think, because it was like during camp stuff. Because Shama mm-hmm. said something like, y'all should do something at the end. Because <laughs> yeah. this is a really awkward ending yeah. otherwise. Yeah, we just yeah. said, all right, bye. How <laughs> you? But yeah. So, assuming you've got new believers, tell them what you mean by a God moment. Yeah, we just see God in our lives, or talk about how we've seen God in our lives recently, whether it be a, a moment of worship, a blessing, a challenge. Uh, I always make Josh go first to give myself mm. and our esteemed guest as much time as we need to reflect on the week. Um, so, Josh, do you have a God moment for us this week? Yeah, I have a few. I'm trying to think of which one I want to pull out. So I'm stalling. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, I used a Cumberland one last week, so I won't use another island one. Um, yeah, so so at church, you know, the church I go to now, so I went to a liturgical church. It's a Lutheran church in Rock Hill, and they do the church calendar. So it's, it's interesting just kind of following the story of Jesus throughout the year and then getting to this point where we're right before the crucifixion. I feel a lot more anticipation for Easter than I usually do. And that's kind of been cool. Just kind of a, you know, usually I care about Easter the week of Easter, <laughs> you know? So now I'm like, oh, no, this is actually, we've, we've been building the, this for a while. So I'm kind of, kind of excited. And I guess the blessing is just learning to be excited about that. So, hmm. yeah. yeah. And the eggs I hid in your house are going to start going bad soon. <laughs> you know, well, I should have look. That <laughs> So for me, a bit of an odd one. Uh, I hope my sister and mother don't listen to this part of the episode at least because I babysat the other night, something I told them I would never do. (laughs) And uh, it's just something so special that I'd never realized holding a a two-month-old that they trust you so much. It's Hmm. so special. And, you know, I'd never seen this kid before. It's just And the parents trusted you. That is a God thing. (laughs) Isn't it? It's got to yeah. be. <laughs> yeah. Be careful what you tell God you'll never do. He gets to laugh yeah. last every yep. time. Mm. Yeah. 
It's not. He lives a lot longer than I will. So it's not really. Yeah, that's true. He has every opportunity to get even one day. <laughs> but I was thankful. It was a. It was a great. It was a great time. Hmm. Well, good. Yeah. Uh, man, I'm. I'm kind of like Josh. There's a thousand things or no thing, depending on you know. Are we spiritually <laughs> sensitive enough to recognize the hand of God, yeah. providence, and everything? Yeah. Without get, getting into details, I'm going through some things right now. I mean, you know, it's not my, yeah. I'm not getting a divorce. I don't have cancer, just dealing with various things. And I don't deal well with, you know, when I was in the army, you suffer through pain. Don't complain about it. You just deal with it. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm in a position, there's some things I just can't deal with. I'm, you know, having to seek a little help and, you know, trying to admit, gee, I'm not the Superman. Hey, I wish I was and may never have really been. But, <laughs> It seems like in the last several weeks, I've had a parade of students coming to my office because I and Josh can tell you I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a professor, but many of the students see me there as, as their pastor. Also, I had one today. Yeah. Dr. Beck, I'm not here to talk to you about as a professor. I'm here to talk to you about a pastor. Help me. And so I, what I've seen is, long story short, a bunch of students lately who are very broken and want to talk about things that, you know, I'm not I can talk with a student about anything. You won't embarrass me or shock me. But, yeah, you know, I'm now able to give advice before that I could have known what the answer was. Mm-hmm. But now I know what the answer is. Right. I, I, I feel, you know, I've not been in the same situation. You know, I had a student who would acknowledge having been raped. Never wow. happened to me. I have no idea. But I'm able to th- help her think through it because of various things going on in my mm-hmm. life. And last week, so it's not this week, but TJ, but a week, two weeks ago. I met with a student struggling with something really big, thinking about giving up college, going home. You know, just, I, I can't do this. Walked her through it, talked her through it. Selfish motive. I wanted her to stay. I hate to see her leave, <laughs> especially in defeat. So, you know, how can we do this? And I encourage her to, you know, acknowledge her problem and go get help. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't help her. I can't fix it. And last Friday, back to TJ's question, she hung around after class said, I want to let you know, I did exactly what you told me to do, and I'm already thinking and feeling better. Wow. And it was kind of that, that's not what I did. God has put me in a place where I'm dealing with things, and now perhaps I can have empathy hmm. for a student, even though her story is different than mine, and what, what's going on in my life made a difference in hers. That's a God thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that yeah. None of us are on an island. You know that We all go through things. Sometimes we can't explain but we're going through it for somebody else and we just don't know who it is yet. Yeah. It's crazy what we can do when we aren't the ones doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah. yeah. Leave it to me. Yeah. I screw it up. Leave it to God. It'll <laughs> always work out bad. You got better, not bad, but better. Always <laughs> bad. better. It's always bad. <laughs> that sound like I'm from New York. It, it's always better. Better. <laughs> but, oh, man. If you're listening and you enjoyed the episode or you really hated it, Please consider sharing it with a friend uh, or an enemy, a cousin. Leave us the worst review you've ever written in your life. Um, Or a good one if you liked it. I'm not here to boss you around. Uh, (laughs) Come check out our convention. We will have a multicultural worship, multi-denominational service, uh, food trucks. It'll be a whole big shebang. Free stuff. Everybody loves free stuff. Yeah. Check it out. Website below. Yeah. Now, now's the part where TJ's going to pass around the offering plate. Yeah. <laughs> Venmo me. God has spoken to your heart this morning. Oh, Please man. don't miss the opportunity to allow him to speak to somebody else. 
<laughs> you can oh, sow your man. seed money and God will make it grow. Yeah, there you go. You heard it here. Um, <laughs> if you want to hear our other show, though, where we talk about the intersection of faith and fandom and, you know, just Christians reflecting on geeky stuff, you can go to systematicgeekology.org. TJ and I are, are there. You can hit the host tab, see both of our names and see what episodes we're on and criticize them heavily if you'd like. Please. Yeah. So we hope you enjoyed it. Come back next week as we continue this series on church services with more popular return guests. Then, not more popular, just other popular guests. <laughs> more popular than Beck. <laughs> more popular than Peter. But uh, we'll have Professor Andrew Lucius of Charleston Southern University uh, join us to reflect on the different worship styles churches discussed during this series. Uh, after that, we will have a couple of live recordings from our upcoming convention. And finally, at the end of season one, Francis Chan will be joining us. Wow. Does he know? I hope not. Yeah. No, he doesn't know yet. He'll figure it out. He's ghosting us if he knows. (laughs) Kind of rude. Yeah, that is rude. Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. Remember, you can always sponsor our show at patreon.com forward slash the Whole Church Podcast. Tune back in next week where we'll be continuing our series on church services.